to Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast where we attempt to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern-day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Today's episode is called Love Everyone, and it's super inspired from some of the recent events that I've gone through in my life in relation to dealing with others, be they family members or the random person who out of the blue hits me in the middle of the night as he's running a red light, or crazy landlords, or even my peers who might challenge me in ways that I don't even understand. Let's face it, being in relationship with others is very deep spiritual work if we are holding ourselves accountable for our behavior. Meaning, if we are relating with others in a way that we feel good about, it takes a lot of work sometimes. The Bhagavad Gita says, He who sees the Supreme Lord abiding alike in all beings and not perishing when they perish, verily, he alone sees. I'll repeat it with slightly different translation. She who sees the divine abiding alike in all beings and not perishing when they perish, verily, she alone sees. So this entry in the Gita basically can be summed up by saying that we must see the divine in all. We must understand that the same divine essence that animates your life force, some people would call it yourself or your soul or the seed of the Lord within you, that same divine essence is carried in the heart of hearts of all beings, whether your closest friends or your worst enemies, whether it be a beautiful bird or a slug on the ground, we are all animated by the same divine force. And this divine force could be translated as God by some people, or Allah, or the void, or the universe, or the goddess. But it's all pointing at the same source. It's the same thing everyone's talking about all around the world. So no matter what your belief system may be, whatever your identification with the universe is, it's pretty universal to begin to understand that we all contain the same origin. Whether you want to call that your soul or the great nothingness or anything in between that, it's all the same thing that we're talking about and attempting to define. And, you know, God, if you will, or the divine, is not something that's just up there in the sky. It's not something that only is there sometimes. Divine permeates every cell of your being. This divine essence, albeit your soul, is what the Bhagavad Gita is talking about. This divine essence permeates every single thing you see. It's the only possible makeup of this universe and the next. So when the Gita says, he who sees the Supreme Lord abiding alike in all beings, is saying those who have integrated the idea that we always must look at someone's divinity and inherent goodness, no matter what they do externally, 
We must be willing to see the divine essence within all living beings. And we must understand that when the transient details of life, meaning the body, the personality, the ego, when that dissolves, when we pass away, that divine essence within us keeps going. It doesn't stop. It just keeps moving. We call that transmigration of the soul, a.k.a. reincarnation. And if you don't resonate with the idea of reincarnation, perhaps think, even if you are an atheist, if you believe that nothing happens after you die, you can still agree that the part of you that's animating this body and this life, it goes back to nothing. If you believe in God, then it's essentially the idea of going to your divine origin when you pass away. Our willingness to see the divine in all is in a way the foundation to kind of build your house of loving everyone. And loving everyone doesn't mean that everyone has to be your best friend. Loving everyone means you maintain reverence for their essence, for their life force, despite what they do or don't do externally. It doesn't mean you necessarily stay right next to people who cause destruction in your life, but it means that no matter what action you must take in your ability or relating to others, you can base it around love rather than letting hatred, or resentment filter into how you experience others. So the Bhagavad Gita says, He who sees the divine abiding alike in all beings and not perishing when they perish, meaning that when you die, that spark of spirit within you moves on. Verily, he alone sees, meaning that once you finally acknowledge that there's a part of every living being that cannot be killed, was never born, and never dies, suddenly you get one step closer to understanding the ultimate reality. And the ultimate reality is that we are a divine being that happens to be embodied. And if we begin to look at everyone around us as that divine being that happens to be in a body, suddenly we can find more forgiveness for whatever human experience they are having. Suddenly we become a little bit more capable of opening our heart towards someone who might usually really trigger us or stir anger or sadness within us or even repulsion. So our willingness to see the divine in all means despite external differences, despite belief systems, despite people's faults, Somehow, we can still find the internal strength to have a little or a lot of love for that person. And I was contemplating this idea. What does it really mean to love everyone? Or what does it take for us to love everyone, even those who challenge us and potentially might do things to hurt us? And this is my number one answer, was internal strength. It takes so much willpower sometimes to not create destruction because of our reactions that we are having. For example, 
last Saturday, my boyfriend and I were driving home from my friend's house and someone ran a red light and hit us going about 35 miles per hour. He hit the rear driver's door and someone said actually that a second earlier he might have killed me or at least hospitalized me. And this person um, admitted he ran the light at the time and although I was irritated at him, he apologized profusely and so I gave him a hug. And I told him, you know, I know this is a hard situation. It's okay. Please don't ever run a red light again. A couple days go by. I'm feeling all right about it all. I know that insurance will help me out. But then I found out that he lied to insurance and said that he had a green light. Even though at the scene he had admitted it. And the first thing, the very first thing I went to was rage. It paralyzed me. I had to call off work. I had to stare at the ceiling for half a day and try to contemplate where all this was coming from. And I think that's kind of the first step is to contemplate where does this triggered response come from within me? If someone else is doing something that invokes rage within me, where is that rage coming from? Is it from their action or is it from a reaction that I've programmed into myself that when someone gives me you know, X external stimulus, I respond with Y behavior. And so it's all about deconditioning our old triggers so that they no longer take hold on us. So with this person that lied about hitting us, it took me a good couple of days, but finally I began to think of him with compassion. I began to think of how he must be worried about feeding his family because that's what he told me that night was that he was rushing for food, and he doesn't know how he's going to feed his family. And secondarily, I had the deep urge to really be rude to him and, and really tell him off, and I held myself back. But this is a healthy holding back, because my communication would have created even more turmoil. And already we're having this turmoil, right? But I just began to think of this person and put myself in his shoes. So although if I see him in public, I might not smile at him. That might take even more strength. I'm not quite there yet. That's like master ascension level. But at least I won't yell at him. You know what I mean? At least I won't call him right now and start yelling at him. I have the dignity for his life force and my own to know that if I behave in a way that creates more suffering than good, then that behavior eventually will destroy me. And that's what so many of us attempt to realize but still, you know, slip back into these triggered patterns. When we're not triggered, we're like, yeah, next time I'll be nice. Next time I'll, I'll do this or that, whatever it is. It could be about anything. But then all of a sudden that stimulus comes along and we're back to the raving lunatic that we were 10 years ago. And we really thought we were done with it. We told all of our friends, I'm done acting that way. I'll never do that again. And then maybe we do a really good job of catching that reaction for a while. But then all of a sudden that stimulus comes back and there we are, raving lunatic, right? That's how I felt actually when I found out this person was lying to the insurance company and trying to make us be the ones at fault. I felt this rage come up that I haven't experienced in years. And I remembered very vividly that 
six years ago, someone in St. Lucia hit me almost in the exact same way. And he was at fault. The police came and told him he was at fault. And he still told this huge crowd of people in St. Lucia that I had to give him money and I was at fault. And he also made some racist comments, which just, it hurt me in a way that I didn't see coming. Because those of us who hold ourselves at the integrity of telling the truth, we wouldn't lie. We would admit if we ran the light, even if it made our insurance go up. We would admit if we were the ones at fault because we rushed to make a turn that a car was obviously coming directly. But there's a lot of people out there on this earth who do not hold themselves to that same ethical code, if you will. Not everyone's a yogi. Most yogis who call themselves yogis aren't yogis, right? Not everyone can be that, yet everyone has the potential to be that, but it takes practice. To be loving and to have compassion takes practice. Although it's human nature, we have a lot of other urges that we call human nature that pull on us and sometimes cause us to react in a way that doesn't serve our highest good or anyone else's highest good. So internal strength is the idea that even though this guy hit me and is trying to blame me and it's not actually our fault in any way, it's funny, my ego keeps needing needing to tell everyone we had the green light. (laughs) See, I'm still not over it, but I'm not screaming we had the green light like I would have been seven years ago. So even though I felt that same rage come up that I had felt when the other person six years ago hit me in St. Lucia, I six years ago was a screaming, raving lunatic at this guy, literally screaming at him in the road. And this time, six or seven years later, someone did almost the exact same thing and I gave him a hug. And that's what we got to look at is we're not always going to feel like we come off perfect, like the reaction still might come up within us, but it's up to us to discern, deprogram, and decide when that reaction is appropriate and when it's actually an old program running that creates self-sabotage. And if it's the second answer, if it's an old program running through you that creates self-sabotage, then it's time to Hold it back. Let it sit there in your mind, but move your mental energy to your heart, to your loving kindness, to your compassion, and decide what to do and how to react based on what you feel from your heart. Because if you tune in, the answer is right there. You don't have to sift through it, and you don't need to drop down to your center of power over others. You can instead remain empowered. Understand that for some reason that experience is unfolding for you and discern your reaction based on how would I feel if I were to watch a recording of myself right now. And I've said this before, but it's really something to consider when relating and behaving with others. How would I feel if I had to watch a recording of myself two days from now or two years from now? And for me, maybe I'm vain, but that is a huge motivator with to react and respond and relate in a way that is kind, 
respect for self and others, reverence for their life force, and also strong because sometimes compassion means standing up for ourselves. Compassion is not always about being super mushy and super nice to everyone, right? There's something in Buddhism they call idiot compassion. And idiot compassion is another word for enabling. And enabling is whenever we avoid conflict for fear of the other person's reaction. Enabling is letting people walk all over you. And enabling is abuse, essentially. Because what's happening is maybe someone needs to hear something. For example, I have a good friend who is in an unhealthy relationship. And she comes to me to talk about it sometimes. And it's been several years now that she's been deeply unhappy with this person. He is abusive to her on every level. But instead of leaving this person, which is my advice and many other people's advice to her, she stays with him. And she continues to enable his behavior because she feels sorry for him and also because she feels like he might change one day. But like this meme I read on Facebook said, Girl, you can't change him unless he has a diaper on. We can't change others. All we can do is change ourselves. So her continuing to enable his behavior by staying with him and still being his partner is what we call idiot compassion. It's where her kindness, her gentleness, her open heart is actually causing her own destruction. When we open our heart to the wrong people, sometimes we don't even realize it. But if we do realize it's these people don't deserve our heart, if we stay with them and allow them to behave that way by constant forgiveness, oh, I have compassion for him, he was abused when he was five, then we are the ones that go down in that. We are the ones that dissolve our heart in the acid of their hatred. And it's up to us, women and men alike, especially in the realm of intimate relationship, to discern what is an argument, what is a disagreement, what is an accidental mistake, and what is abuse and intentional infliction of suffering. And if we identify abuse, it's up to us to stand up for ourselves. That is the compassion. It's up to us to stand up and say, you know what, this isn't right. I can help you or I can get out of the way, so to speak. And it's up to us to do that. And this doesn't just apply to intimate relationships. This can apply to any relationship. Family members who walk all over us, for example. There's a point where we have to stop ourselves and say, am I enabling this person to continue their own self-destruction by their negative behavior? And if the answer is yes, it's up to us to lovingly but firmly and truthfully share what we feel with that person. How that person's response is cannot be controlled. So maybe the person will hear us. Maybe they'll receive us and say, wow, thank you for pointing that out to me. I really am going to look at myself there. That's compassion. Compassion. 
Whereas maybe someone walks all over us over and over for years and we keep saying, oh, love you, it's okay, I understand. Then we are essentially enabling them to walk all over us even more. And if someone walks all over one of us, they probably do that to everyone in their life. So idiot compassion is basically us being afraid to come off harsh or to come off in the wrong way because we are what? We are egotistical. We are attached sometimes. The true compassion, although sometimes, most of the time, it entails kindness and tenderness and mercy and our ability to put ourselves in others' shoes. Idiot compassion is where the person's behavior does not warrant tenderness, compassion, and mercy. It warrants a firm standing up for oneself or perhaps boundaries. Sometimes all we need to do is actually set boundaries and then things can change. I remember one time years ago, I was in the library using the internet. That's how many years ago. I didn't have an iPhone. And I was in the library using the internet. I mean, like what, 1905, right? But I'm there typing away an email, and this gentleman next to me, whom I was not attracted to at all, kind of poked at me a couple times in the ribs and said, hey, hey. And I was super fiery already about something. And I turned and looked at him, and I said, what? He said, you want to get out of here with me? You want to go do something with me? You're really hot. And I looked at him, and I said, bro, this is a computer lab, not a dating website. And this guy got so pissed off. He got so angry. He stood up and said, you're not that hot anyway. And a couple of other things that I won't say on the podcast because this is a clean show. And he stormed out of the computer lab and everyone in the computer lab unanimously, maybe there were 10 of us, maybe 15, we all started laughing. And at face value, it seems harsh, what I said. But for me, I felt so accosted by this person. He had crossed one of my hard boundaries that I stood up for him. You know, in my heart, I thought, wow, this must have taken a lot for this guy to ask me that. But at the same time, wow, so I can't even come to the library and type an email without having someone hit on me. So for me, I felt the need to stand up for myself and to defend my personal space. Because it's one thing to ask someone, it's another thing to poke them in the ribs, right? Especially a stranger. That's just something for me, I won't allow that to go by me without standing up for myself. Unless it's a really awesome stranger, like some fairy godmother thing, she can poke my ribs, you know, all she wants. See, that's the thing, we've got to discern what's the energy there. If this person has good intention and good energy towards us, we might not feel that same fire to stand up for ourselves if they poke us in the ribs out of nowhere. But if someone's energy for us is lustful or feels creepy, that fire is going to come out when they poke us in the ribs. So a lot of this is just awareness. It's about being mindful of when to use our fire, when to use our strength, and when to use our vulnerability, our cool, calming, soft heart. And there's no cookie cutter rules here. It's just about being mindful of being in our heart 
as much as we can be. So we respond in a way that is actually appropriate and serves other people's highest good. So moral of the story really is don't have idiot compassion. Have true compassion. Be the goodness on this earth. It's really the medicine for everyone. To have reverence for other people's life force is to have reverence for our own life force. If we are willing to put everything in perspective of compassion and loving kindness and also not fall into the pitfall of enabling others in unhealthy patterns, then suddenly we can love everyone. Suddenly we become capable of seeing the divine in all, no matter their skin color, their culture, their religion, what they ate for dinner last night, whether we agree with them or not, at the base level of things, we can still have a heart full of love. And in whatever way we have to behave or respond with others, love can be the backbone of that. I actually have a picture of Manjushri on my altar. I've carried him for years. And he is the Buddha of knowledge of self. And Manjushri is holding a flaming sword and he's got it in the air like he's ready to swing it and cut someone's head off. And the metaphor for Manjushri is that this flaming sword is the sword of self-knowledge and that he's cutting off our ignorant head so we may see ourselves from our heart. And this is essentially what we've all got to do. We've got to get out of our head and get into our heart. And this isn't something that you do just once and call it a day. It's kind of like oil pulling or brushing your teeth. You've got to do it a lot. It needs to happen consistently. And this especially applies to when we are triggered by other people. When we are triggered by other people, that is where the rubber hits the road, essentially. That's where we get to really see, are we able to keep love no matter what? Are we able to be soothing and be the sweetness on this earth even when we don't feel good and have a headache? Or even when we're stressed out about money, can we still maintain that sweetness? Maintain that love and warmth towards others even when everything in our life is spinning out of control? I don't know. But it sure is worth a try. Be the love you wish to see in this world. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma. Aloha. What's that sound? To the wave.
Pasha is the ability to put yourselves in other. This is the first step of self-realization. And the pranayama will bring you mental power. You'll be able to control your emotions. And gradually you become self-controlled. So yoga is really wonderful. Because in a very short time, one year, two years, three years, you may reach your enlightenment.